Welcome to Be Brave at Work, a podcast devoted to helping you take the next step in your workplace. Each week, we'll be talking with real people with real stories about things they have not said or done or have said or done in their workplace that required bravery. Let's get started. Hi, everyone. This is Ed Everts, and I'm the founder and president of Excellius Leadership Development. Welcome to Be Brave at Work, a podcast devoted to helping you take the next step in your workplace. I hope you'll listen to our past podcast conversations, and if you'd like to hear past episodes, go to BeBraveAtWork.com, subscribe to our podcasts, and learn some valuable lessons about bravery at work. My new book, Drive Your Career, Nine High-Impact Ways to Take Responsibility for Your Success, is now available in paperback, on Kindle, and in audio at Amazon.com, BarnesandNoble.com, and any online book retailer you prefer. Check out Drive Your Career today. Our podcast today is sponsored by Cabot Risk Strategies. Based in Woburn, Massachusetts, Cabot Risk Strategies has created innovative and customized insurance strategies for individuals and families, businesses, nonprofits, commercial real estate, and public entities. Cabot's client base continues to expand both within the region and within the markets they serve. And if you are looking for customized insurance services and solutions, contact Cabot at 800-222-5963 or visit them for more information at cabotrisk.com. On Be Brave at Work this week, we're going to continue our conversation with Michael Reddington. Michael's interrogation career fosters a fascination with how we are able to establish relationships and obtain the truth in seemingly impossible situations. His experience made it clear that at best, confrontation creates compliance and compliance creates resentment. He saw firsthand how people committed to sharing their secrets when their interviewers carefully listened for new opportunities to bond and treated them with respect and empathy. When Michael applied these communication techniques to his business relationships, the results were astounding, and his model, the disciplined listening method, was born. He researched and developed the disciplined listening method to teach executives, sales professionals, HR professionals, and beyond how to increase commitments to action and reduce missed opportunities by significantly improving their situational awareness, observation skills, and their ability to apply strategic, ethical persuasion techniques. Let's continue our conversation with Michael. You're touching on a couple of areas, Michael, that I just want to explore for a minute. You know, going back to the earlier part of your story, you know, there's me, there's you, and then there's this thing in between. And oftentimes when I go in to talk to you about something, and let's say it's a behavior on your part, that's having a negative impact with others, but nobody has shared it with you. Uh, There's multiple stories, there's multiple reasons, there's multiple experiences that that person might be having, but I think it's just one thing, right? Hey, I wanna tell you about something you're doing and I want you to stop doing it. And if I go in with that linear type of uh, direction, you know, I'm at risk of not hitting, you know, the cover off the ball and getting into a much different type of conversation. So recognizing, that first you might want to be curious about, hey, here's how you are perceived to be operating at the meeting. Can you tell me a little bit more about how that came about and really explore it first? So this person has an opportunity to share why they do what they do, how they do what they do. Maybe they've got a really good reason why they're operating in this way. That's this complex strategic business reason that they don't have time to explain, but it's not crazy or wrong. And upon hearing it, you might say, oh, okay, I guess that makes sense. You know, that's not what people are experiencing. So I think you should know that, but I think you should keep doing it, that type of thing, right? So there's these multiple uh, outcomes and experiences that people might have related to any conversation that you might be having. 
Agree entirely. Agree entirely. Um, I don't want to take too much time away from from you on your show. We, I could do a bunch of examples, um, but agree 100%. And even one thought, even when we bring it up to somebody, it was a great alternative the way that you brought it up. If I was to say, hey, Ed, you know, really looking to sit down and have a conversation today. You know, I noticed that in today's meeting, it appeared that you may have been perceived as just wondering where that was coming from. Can you kind of walk me through what you were thinking or, or what your process was? As soon as we say to somebody you were perceived as, we run the risk of putting them on the defensive right away. So if we approach that slightly different and say, hey, Ed, you know, really just wanted to sit down and kind of walk through the meeting that we had today, appreciate your contribution. And of course, from our, from my perspective, I can't always understand where everybody is coming from. Really what I would like to do is, is start by going back to a couple of the comments that you shared about topic X and ask you to just walk me through where you were coming from and, and what your thought process was with that, because I think it's worth spending a little bit more time on. Now, if we start with that, we give them the chance to hopefully be a little bit more forthcoming on their thought process, how they felt, their feelings, because we didn't tell them how they were perceived at first. So they're not trying to either defend themselves or over explain. And then once we understand their thought process, that ties into one of the most important points I've heard in a long time that you just made. We need to be open to learning something new. <laughs> we don't have it all figured out. So when they explain their thought process, we might have a moment where we go, well, I didn't see that coming. That's actually really important. Or we might see that there was a lot of validity in their thought process. They maybe just didn't apply it the right way or it wasn't voiced the right way for that group at that time. So now instead of coaching somebody on their perception, we can coach them in regards to having their message or their intentions aligned with their communication. And then at the end, let them know how they were perceived by the group. So they still get that education in there, but hopefully it happens in a way where we help them protect their self-image and we can focus a little bit more on the issue throughout the conversation. So that's me. I know people can't see me right now, so they don't know how bald I am. So it's a little ironic for me to be you know, splitting hairs, <laughs> but another potential approach for folks. Well, I can see you and I think you look fantastic. So uh, no harm there. Uh, look, your points are fantastically well taken. This is so important in respect to thinking about how it is that you want to present yourself if you want to share something with somebody that's difficult for them to hear. And a lot of what you're talking about is how you start the conversation. And unfortunately, because we don't teach bravery in junior high, high school or college, and you could take a class, I guess, on bravery or how to have good communication or read the book, Crucial uh, Conversations, which I have read, uh, you know, you can learn these types of things, but how you start the conversation can help set the tone for the meeting. So if you think the boss is disruptive at meetings and it is alienating the team, you don't walk into their office two minutes after the meeting and say, hey, you're such a jerk, right? And let me tell you why. It's not going to be received well. Uh, you got to think about when you want to have the meeting. You want to think about getting permission to give the feedback. Hey, I'd love to give you some feedback on what I'm experiencing, what I think others might be experiencing at our weekly meeting. Are you open to hearing it? You know, if the person is not open to hearing it or it's not a good time because they're getting ready for another meeting and say, look, you know, uh, let's do it a little bit later, then it's not going to be listened to really well. And then this, uh, you know, entry into it, which is, you know, are you open to hearing some feedback on how others might be perceiving you in the meeting? I tend to call it soft language, and I don't mean soft as in weak. 
but uh, it's not disruptive, right? It's not, hey, you're really bad at the meeting. Let me tell you why. It's, hey, can I tell you a little bit about how some people might be perceiving you at the meeting? And I'd love to hear what your thoughts might be on why you are operating in that way so you can ensure that you're having a great outcome in respect to the conversations you're having. So how you enter into the conversation is so, so important. You know, Michael, I also wanted to talk a little bit about the content of your book. And, you know, uh, I, it's called The Disciplined Listening Method. Why do you have the word listening? Yeah, so you're an interviewer, and yet you have not the disciplined interviewing method, but the disciplined listening method. And certainly listening is a key part of being brave at work because we don't have all the answers. We don't have all the information. We need to be curious. We need to be open to the outcomes that might come. And we have to listen really, really well. So I'd love to talk with you a little bit about why listening for you is such an important part of your model. Thank you. And to steal everything that you just said, those are all traits and perspectives that the very best interviewers carry into their conversations as well. I should join the International Association of Interviewers. We would welcome you. <laughs> we would welcome you. So you know, for from my perspective, and I'm sure there's others that share it as well, listening is a cyclical process. So how I communicate with you is going to inspire how you communicate with me. And then the totality of my observations of you communicating with me is going to inspire how I choose to continue communicating with you. So it's this consistent cycle of communication and observation that really involves or encapsulates listening. And from my perspective, active listening is fantastic. It's not enough. Signaling attentiveness is great. Convincing people that we are listening or in tune to them is great. But if I'm convincing you that I'm listening while ignoring you and thinking about my next meeting or what I want to say next or how you're making me feel or singing a song in my head, whatever it might be, then I'm not gathering the strategic value that can move relationships and move goals or, or processes forward. And that really is the mindset that thankfully I was able to learn from my mentors in the world of interview and interrogation and really found that that systematized approach to listening, to observation, to influence that provided so much success in the interview room creates wonderful opportunities in our business and personal conversations as well. When I think back to my former teammates and I in, in the world of interview and interrogation, people didn't call us when they had all the evidence and they knew who did it. The vast majority of the time, people called us when they had investigations involving multiple suspects, no evidence. Everybody had already been interviewed at least once. They hadn't uncovered the truth yet. So weeks or months went by. And now the case became so politically sensitive within their organization, they needed somebody else to come in. So my former teammates or I, who you know, whoever got tapped for it, would be the one that would go in. And if we're comparing this to a deck of cards, you know, we've got 51 and a half cards stacked against us. The half card we got is the mindset that we bring in and that learning mentality that we bring into the conversation, listening first, taking in information as when we have a plan going in, of course, but keeping that learning mentality open and using those observations to connect with people made all the difference in the world. And to tie that into something that you said earlier, people react the strongest to what we hear first. And there's research that shows that could be fast as 100 milliseconds. And people will interpret how we communicate with them as proof for how much we respect them. 
So when we think about how we start the conversation, the opportunity to listen before we speak, taking responsibility for their emotions, their reactions during the conversation, all of these things that provided windfalls of intelligence in the interview room have the same impact in our business and personal conversations as well. Well, I love that uh, what I would call model about how I communicate with you is going to influence how you communicate with me. And that's also so important when you think about another key behavior associated with being brave at work with is which is relationship. And, you know, if you and I have a good relationship and I would imagine in the scenarios that you're talking about, there may not be a relationship at all. I'm being called in to talk with people and I'm meeting them for the first time. But <clears throat> in the workplace, you might have relationship with others and or need to have relationship with them because you want to ensure that from time to time when they do something that may not be them at their best, you have a place to enter in and say, hey, Michael, can I give you some feedback on something I experienced yesterday that I think you'd want to hear? And I want you to say, yes, I'd love, Ed, please come in, have a cup of coffee. I'd love to sit. I'm not going to say anything. I'm just going to listen. I mean, that's what you're looking for, right? Oftentimes it's what? You know, why? You know, is this bad news? Right. It's just starts to dissemble the minute you open your mouth. And a, a large piece of that is because there's not a relationship in existence between the two participants. And so, uh, you know, I think part of the work that you're doing and as you're talking about this concept of interviewing and seeking truth, which isn't necessarily what every Be Brave at Work conversation is about, but certainly is a dramatic influencer of them. It sounds as though listening and ensuring that where you can build a good relationship, you do so that you can be more candid and honest with others when you need to be. Yes. And when we work with leaders from the CEO level down the ranks of management, there are several things that we really ask them to keep in mind. One is realize that you're a celebrity within your own organization. You're always on stage. People are always looking towards you. Fair or not, they are. The other thing is to keep in mind that there is a reasonable likelihood we're going to have to have at least one uncomfortable conversation with everybody we interact with. So we can build trust equity. We can build the relationship. We can build the opportunity for those conversations to be more successful and to be less uncomfortable based on how we interact with people on a regular basis. So that way we're laying the groundwork for the inevitable uncomfortable conversation with how we intentionally interact with those around us every day. So if that's from the leadership standpoint, creating the top-down relationship, and if it's someone who's below the ranks of someone who they need to be brave and have a conversation with, they're earning their credibility and they're earning their trust and the opportunity for others to be open with them based on how they consistently communicate with one another. Well, this is why people like you are employed, because most people in organizations don't think about uh, how they communicate with others, how they are perceived, what their reputation may be like. They certainly come in every day and try to do the best job possible. I don't think anyone gets up in the morning and brushes their teeth and looks in the mirror and says, I'm going to be a complete loser today and ruin everyone's life. They go in believing they're going to do the best that they can. And sometimes they do and sometimes they don't. But when they don't, oftentimes, unfortunately, nobody tells them or they only hear it at their annual review, you know, six months later. Uh, and, you know, the goal, certainly, I think, in your work and in my work is to create areas of opportunity where people can, in the moment, you know, within at least 24 hours of the observation you have, share with them feedback that you believe could be helpful. Always presented respectfully, 
always presented professionally and always presented from a, I want to help you, right? I'm not trying to judge you. I'm not trying to belittle you, but I want to give you some feedback that I think you should hear. And quite frankly, if it were me, you know, I'd want to hear it. So that's why I'm sharing it with you because I think you'd want to hear it as well. <clears throat> this might be how people are, you know, may or potentially might be perceiving you in the workplace. Is this something that you see? Uh, and I know you speak across the country to organizations and affiliation groups. Are these stories that you hear or things that you see with these client groups? All the time. All the time. Yeah. Because unfortunately, especially in the business world, we are conditioned towards outcomes. How fast are we getting the job done? How fast are we getting the, the document taken care of? How fast are we getting something produced? You know, whatever it is. And unfortunately, not only is time the enemy of quality, time is the enemy of empathy. So we literally don't prioritize learning from somebody else. We prioritize getting my message across as fast as possible so I can get on to the next. And so we're prioritizing our own stress levels, our own satisfaction with time over how somebody else receives our message and the resulting behavior from that perception. So while we feel like we're often saving time in the long run, we're creating more problems. So yes, it's something that we see quite frequently. Well, I have not heard any guest uh, quote something like time is the enemy of empathy. So I think that's very, very impactful. And uh, short of assuming what you mean by that, can you tell our listeners why timing uh, is the enemy of empathy? Well, time and timing can both be. When we think time is the enemy of empathy, when our brains are focusing on getting something done quickly, we literally prioritize speed over anything else. So if you and I are having a conversation and I'm looking at the clock thinking, well, I got a, another meeting in five minutes, so I got to hurry up and wrap this up with Ed so I can get to the next one. I might feel, I might believe in my bones that I'm locked in with you right now. But the bottom line is my brain is already in the next meeting. I'm not listening to everything you're saying. I'm not fully locked in. I'm not being intentional about how I communicate with you. Now the most valuable thing I can do is my mind is end this meeting now so I can get to the next one. So I'm actually disengaged with you and it becomes impossible to empathize or understand or truly connect with you during the conversation. Timing can also be the enemy of empathy as well. There likely is no perfect time to have a lot of these uncomfortable conversations. And I certainly don't want to get somebody in a procrastination loop by trying to wait and find the perfect time. But we certainly can be situationally aware about when is somebody likely to be more or less emotional? What audience may or may not be there? What might be the best mode? I had a client that had a difficult time with one of their partners solving a six-figure problem because they were trying to force the conversation at their office. When we finally were like, hey, why don't you take them out to lunch? Like, Why do I want to take them out to lunch? They owe us all this money. Well, what's more important, a $50 lunch or a six-figure problem solved? Like, let's think about this all the way through. So sometimes those the situational awareness and those timing pieces can certainly increase the perception of empathy as well. Well, I would say that the only uh, influence that time has is late time, right? That if you have an observation, <clears throat> excuse me, or... Uh, want to share something with somebody that you think is important, sharing it with them six months from now is not going to be as impactful as within 24 to 48 hours of when the event happened, right? It's, uh, you know, I call it being on the roller coaster. You know, if you, if I go on a fantastic roller coaster at Six Flags and you ask me six months later how it was, I'd say, oh, it was, yeah, I think it was great. You know, I don't really even remember, but, you know, we, I think we had a blast, right? 
if you ask me, you know, five hours after I was on the roller coaster, I'd be like, oh my God, it was the most fantastic ride ever. I can still feel the adrenaline flowing from my body, right? There's a different place that person is at the time that you want to provide them feedback. So Michael, thank you so much for your time and thoughts and insights in uh, this topic that we're talking about today as it relates to bravery in the workplace. If folks want to get in touch with you, what might be a great place that they can reach out? Oh, thank you for having me back. My absolute pleasure. Definitely enjoyable to be back here having the conversation with you. So thank you for that. For the people who are interested, the best place to learn more would be inquasive.com. I-N-Q-U-A-S-I-V-E.com. Once the book is available, The Discipline Listening Method, it will be available on Amazon and all your normal online outlets. And if someone wants to connect on social media, really the only place to find me would be LinkedIn, Michael Reddington, CFI. Terrific. Well, we will all be looking for your new book, which hopefully will be out by the time this podcast is uh, produced. So, Michael, thanks again for joining us today. Thank you. And to our listeners, thank you for joining us today. And we hope you join us on our next podcast conversation as we further explore being brave at work. We also remind you to subscribe to our podcast at BeBraveAtWork.com and or download and listen to our podcast on multiple online platforms. We are everywhere. Our podcast today was sponsored by Cabot Risk Strategies, whom you can reach at 800-222-5963 or visit them for more information at cabotrisk.com. And a reminder to check out my new book, Drive Your Career, Nine High Impact Ways to Take Responsibility for Your Own Success, which is available in paperback, on Kindle, and in audio everywhere online. Do you have something to say, yet are not saying it? Do you have something to do, yet are not doing it? Now is the time to be brave at work. Have a great week.